friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome back, Tomb Believers. You're listening to another episode of Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. And we have three issues of Marvel horror to talk about today. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we do have a little bit of, of sort of new business to cover. Um, so, uh, James, what'd you think of that, that uh, news about Universal Studios? Oh yeah, uh, apparently Universal Studios is talking about doing a Universal Monsters Park in, uh, I guess, as part of a third park yes. at Universal's in Orlando. Yes, so uh, Universal Orlando, they announced a while back that uh, in addition to their, their uh, two main parks, uh, which are Universal Studios Orlando and... Uh, Universal Islands of Adventure, which are right next to each other, walking distance from each other. Really right next to each other. Yeah, like, and if you stay on the property, you can walk to both parks. It's awesome. But, besides that, they have announced that they're breaking ground on a new park, which will be not quite as close. You'll have to take a bus to this one, so it's a little more like the the way the Disney parks are. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because it's on the other side of the highway. Uh, What if they make a tunnel? That would be cool. Yeah, a tunnel would be cool. Of course, building underground in Orlando is kind of hard. Right, right. What, with all the mud? Well, you kind of hit the water table pretty quickly. There's a reason why that, like, Disneyland is, a lot of it's built underground. Yep. But, like, Disney World is actually built on a rise. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you are walking street level in the Magic Kingdom, you're actually, like, on a second floor, basically. Yeah. Uh, they they built an above ground basement level for all of the like machinery and tunnels and and secret walkways and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I've actually been down there. It's really cool. I've never been down there, but I uh, yeah. like I know the haunted mansion at Disneyland. The, the, like the one at Disneyland, you actually are doing an elevator going down into like a basement. Yeah. Level for most of the ride. When I was a kid, I did like one of those tour things where they take you behind the scenes at Disney World. And, uh, and they took us into the, the like, basement-level stuff uh, at, at Disney World. It was really cool. Uh, much nicer than our tomb, I have to say. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, they've got, you know, hot water. Yep. Uh, but I always find it interesting because, like, in the Disney... Because I'm a huge Haunted Mansion fan. I'm, I actually had a Haunted Mansion wedding. You were there. I, I was. Uh, you were actually my best man. Thanks for that. Absolutely. But, like... The Haunted Mansion at Disneyland, you were actually taking an elevator down. The elevator, like, the room the room was actually stretching is actually an elevator going down. Right. But in the Disney World attraction, the room that's stretching is actually the ceiling going up. Yep, yep. And then they it's, just... Re- it's an optical op- illusion, yeah. Yeah, then they just open up a door. Right. And so anyway, uh, 
long story short, Universal, because of real estate and, and various other reasons, is building this park a little further away than the other two, so there will be some sort of transportation system to get you there from the other two parks. But it is being called Universal's Epic Universe. Yep. And what's officially confirmed is that one of the lands in this Epic Universe will be Super Nintendo World, which is also cool. Yep. Yeah, I, there, there, there's, in fact, I've, I've seen some uh, screenshots of what are apparently patent filings for a uh, ride system for a Donkey Kong Country minecart ride, so that nice. the so the minecarts can actually, like, jump the tracks and stuff. It's really cool. Oh, wow. Um, and, of course, I'm sure there's going to be, like, a Mario Kart and all that kind of stuff. They'd be stupid if they didn't. Right. Uh, that's the one that's confirmed. Uh, unconfirmed, but heavily rumored is that there will be a third Harry Potter land uh, that is Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Well, because that's they, they've sort of exhausted most of their specifically Harry Potter stuff, so they're just... I think they're using Fantastic Beasts as a catch-all for what had previously been called the magical world of Harry Potter or whatever. Yeah. So I think the idea being that it would be specifically... Harry Potter world stuff, but not centric to Hogwarts. But it's the problem with that is like the Wiz. Fantastic Beasts is bad. It's not great. I don't hate them the way some people do. I just I mostly just wish that they would cast someone other than Johnny Depp as the villain. But other than yeah. that, I don't hate it. it. It's it's confused. It's befuddled. They try too hard to be shocking, and it's just. Well, and as... it, it, it suffers from post-Marvel syndrome in that they are trying to, like, retrofit some things into a shared universe in a way that doesn't make as much sense. No. And, and also just that because it's prequel, you kind of know where things are going. Even with all of the, like, shocking twists and turns they're trying to build in, you still know basically where things are going to end up. Yeah, it's sort of like, hey, let's root for Anakin Skywalker. Um, mm. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so anyway, so Fantastic Beasts is another land that is heavily rumored that I think is fairly likely. And what has been also heavily rumored and not officially confirmed by Universal, but I've seen multiple sites reporting on it, so I think it's safe to at least talk about it, is... The possibility of a Universal Monsters Land. Right? The, okay, so, like, what I'm hearing is, like, it's gonna be shaped like a, like a, like a, like a European village, like in the movies. It's actually gonna look like this, this set that's actually still available at Universal Studios in Hollywood. And it's gonna have, like, the, the fountain there, and then, frankly, like, the castle's gonna be over there. And there's gonna be, like, like lightning and stuff. It's gonna be so cool. <laughs> yes. I, I am very excited about this. I have for years complained, basically since I was a kid, complained that Universal Studios has two whole theme parks in the United States and neither one has even a single ride based on the Universal Monsters. Yeah, up to this point we've had to be satisfied with the Monster Cafe, which, I mean, great theming. Mm-hmm. And when, when I was a kid, Universal Orlando had the stage show that was Beetlejuice and the Universal Monsters. Yes. Uh, they also have the Hollywood special effects show. Right, right. Which is a lovely little museum to walk through. 
And, and of course, during uh, Halloween Horror Nights, there have been multiple years where they have done either specific Universal Monsters or, like last year, all of them at once. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, so the, the Halloween Horror Nights last year had an entire Universal Monsters maze. So, like, there was... The opening section was Creature from the Black Lagoon, and then you move into, uh, I think it was Wolfman after that, and then The Mummy, Dracula, somewhere in there was Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. You end up in the laboratory with the bride and uh, Frankenstein's monster, and then at the end there's sort of a curtain call where a bunch of the monsters show up again. And you brought me a very nice um, mug from it. Not mug, yes. glass. Yes. I yes. appreciate that. That was the the pint glass, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so and with those, you know, they they did honestly what I kind of expect them to do if this monster land turns out to be a thing is that it's they are no, they are identifiably the universal monsters, but modernized to make them a little bit scarier to contemporary sensibilities. Which will be interesting, considering my daughter wouldn't even go to Monster Cafe. <laughs> But and and part of the reason for the redesigns that will that will likely happen is for one thing they actually don't have the rights to Lugosi's face anymore. They don't. No, they well not entirely. Everything Lugosi has to be done in association with the Lugosi estate. Really? Yeah. At some point, I, I think I think the Lugosi family sued. Because they were just profiting, profiting, profiting? Yeah, because of the merchandise. Like they, It was sort of a Siegel and Schuster situation. Interesting. And I think they actually did get some sort of like licensing agreement out of that. But because of that, if you look, a lot of times universal branded stuff, Dracula doesn't look like Lugosi anymore. Which is kind of okay, in my in my opinion. Yeah, it's fine. And, and, and even Frankenstein's monster, they often use the Karloff look, but they'll sometimes go a little bit more generic, which is fine, because Karloff was one of, like, four or five guys to play the monster, so. Oh, so it's like the Marvel comics we're reading today. Right. <laughs> but before we get to that, we should probably do a brief stop-through in Hellstrom Watch. All right, Trey. What news do we have from the wild world of Marvel Media? Well, as far as we know, Hellstrom is still happening. Hot damn. <laughs> I know, right? Who would have thought? I, I, I'm, still, I'm still shocked every day I hear it that. Is, <laughs> it is the Marvel TV show that just will not die. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, good for it. Right. No, no, we don't have any, like, like I said, we don't have, like, you know, the Saturday Night Massacre that we had last time with, you know, <laughs> the, uh, Howard the Duck canceled. Dazzler canceled. Right. Uh, what we do have is a bit of a new glimpse at the Disney Plus shows because during the Super Bowl, we got a quick teaser trailer spotlighting some new footage from... Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki. As we kind of thought we would. Right. No, we. in fact, we, we speculated that this was likely. Yeah. And we were right. And, and we can we can sort of talk through all three of these. I think probably the most interesting in terms of new information is WandaVision because it suggests 
the possible appearance, at least in baby form, of some characters that uh, that we're familiar with from Marvel Comics. Yeah, Wiccan and Speed, who are the twin offspring of Wanda and the Vision. Sort of. Kinda. It's there's chaos magic involved here. Right. This 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 happened when when Wanda in the comics was not in a good place. Now is is chaos magic even still a thing? Uh, I don't know. I because there was a... well because she's not a mutant anymore. No, I don't know. I mean, because like there was a point there where it's like Doctor Strange is like there is no such thing as chaos magic. Right. And you're like, oh, thanks, Steve. We really appreciate that. <laughs> right. And then we get, you know, um, the psycho ripoff of Agatha Harkness, and then the D- Avengers disassemble, and right. It, it's it's not my favorite period of Avengers history. No, and it's out of that that we got uh, the the mutant decimation. Like, not good, not good. N- no. But like, one of the one of the few good things to come out of all of that was Young Avengers. Right. In fact, I think the best thing to come out of Disassembled was Young Avengers. Yep. Which introduced a team of teen characters who were inspired by the Avengers, but not always directly connected to them. Correct. And and two of those Young Avengers were Billy Kaplan and Tommy Shepard, who go by the codenames of Wiccan and speed. Yeah. And they, I mean, their powers make sense if you think about who Wanda and her brother are. <laughs> yes. Wiccan is a magic user. Speed is a speedster. Right. Weirdly, because they were the Young Avengers, Wiccan, at least at first, had a much more Thor-inspired look. Yeah. Uh, although he mostly abandoned that, I think. Well, okay. Young Avengers is, is kind of interesting because... Within a f- the first few, like, 12 issues, they kind of go through the early years of the Avengers. Right. You've you've got their original identities kind of reflecting a uh, original Avengers lineup. You know, your Iron Man, your Captain America, your Thor, your Hulk. Well, it's sort of, it's, it's that plus the kooky quartet all rolled into one. Well, as the team transitions, they kind of transition into the kooky quartet. You get Hawkeye... In the form of Kate Bishop. Oh, that's right. And she's not. She's not an original, is she? No, she's not an original. I she kind of shows up that. after the first couple of issues. Yeah. And then Wiccan reveals that uh, who is called Asgardian at that point. Right. Is like, listen, I'm not actually related to Thor in any way, shape, or form. I'm just a magic user. Also, I'm kind of uncomfortable with the name Asgardian. Right. Uh, so I'm going to become Wiccan now. So he becomes a Scarlet Witch character. Like that. That name was way too easy a joke. Yes. And then. Hulkling is revealed to to kind of be, you know, an offspring of Captain Marvel. But also Skrull. Yes, also Skrull. So that kind of harkens back to the yep. Kree-Skrull War. And then, of course, uh, Wiccan finds his brother Speed, and it reveals, oh yeah, you're definitely Wanda yep. Maximoff's kids. So yeah, it, it, it's a weird kind of like history trip, almost in chronological order. Not to mention that the culmination of one of their first arcs is that they fight Kang. Oh. Iron Lad, (laughs) but right, like you're right that that they're they're kind of this their story at first is very much the greatest hits of Avengers stories. Yes, which is cool. Yes, 
And we didn't we didn't mention uh, Patriot, but Patriot's cool too. Yeah, Patriot's really cool. Although I think the current Patriot is a different Patriot than that Patriot. He is the the Patriot from Young Avengers ended up retiring. Yeah, it it, it kind of sucks when you get your powers from drugs. Well, he that they fixed that. They fixed that during Young Avengers. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but but yeah, so uh, Wiccan and Speed, yep. Billy and Tommy, are suggested to maybe be appearing in some form in WandaVision because there are hints of Wanda and Vision having uh, two babies. Yes, in this weird television pseudo-reality they live in. Also, we get hints at one of my favorite little Marvel continuity bits, the Time Variance Authority. Yes. Which, um, creation of Mark Grunewald, or, well... I don't know if it's a creation of Mark Grunewald, but there, Mark Grunewald is definitely referenced in the Time Various Authority because the head honcho guy at the Time Various Authority looks just like Mark Grunewald. And <laughs> partially because he was such a continuity hound that yeah. they they depicted the guy, you know, guys responsible for making sure time stays straight as him. And I've always thought that was rather fun and cute and, you know, I like it. Yes, which the Time Variance Authority is my uh, my second favorite group of uh, time cops in fiction. Is the first one Time Cop? No, no. Uh, the Bureau of Temporal Investigations from Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah, goddamn Kirk from from the Tribble episode. That, that's oh, that's such a good episode and i especially like them because their names are riffs on Mulder and scully nice so yeah the time various authority is supposedly going to show up in loki which makes sense yeah also there's been been some other casting news about loki yeah owen wilson has joined the cast of loki which i mean they continue to just pull in huge names for this loki series yeah and for the the marvel series overall it's really quite astonishing and in addition to him not perhaps as big a name as Owen Wilson in terms of previous credits, but uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw is a English actress. Uh, she was in a season three episode of Black Mirror. She was in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. She played, I think, the mother in A Wrinkle in Time. She was in the Cloverfield Paradox. So she's had a bunch of... of Fairly big credits. She's also a voice in uh, the Dark Crystal uh, prequel series. Nice. But she has also been cast in Loki uh, in an undisclosed role. And one thing I hadn't really thought about with Loki is, and I, I guess on some level I had, but because this is a version of the character that goes all the way back to the first Avengers movie, this is we're we're back to square one with Loki. Like he has not gone through any of the redemption story of the thor sequels no he hasn't which is interesting yes it is because i think people are expecting a something from loki because of what they know from the the prime timeline loki yeah because of ragnarok yeah but they're not gonna get that this is this is still evil loki yeah this is i want to conquer the universe by any means necessary loki this is the Loki who just got his butt whooped at the end of Avengers. Yep. Yep. He hasn't had that 
mother dying, teaming up with the brother, sacrificing himself for the brother thing. For, he hasn't had Thor too, basically. No, or and he and he also has not had becoming the Revengers in Ragnarok. It should be really interesting. So if we've got that Loki plus time hopping, dimension hopping, whatever, it could be pretty cool. I was honestly at at the first announcement. Loki was the show I was most on the fence about, just because he's not my favorite. But this is about the most interesting approach to a Loki series I can imagine. Yeah, I, I'm not. I really don't know what to expect from the show. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I kind of have a good idea of what WandaVision is going to be about. Even right. though they're trying to, trying to maintain be dark and mysterious, I've got a pretty good idea what's going to be going I on mean, there. I the, mean, the bouncing between TV sitcom styles, I think, is suggesting something about Wanda's mental state. Well, I think part of it is Wanda's trying to rebuild Vision's brain. Right. On the inside. Right. And she's using TV shows that she watched growing up um, as reference. Right, which makes sense. Which, you know, she lived in an Eastern European country. She's gone to watch bad translations of old American sitcoms. Right. So that makes sense. Right. It, it honestly, some of the clips in the trailer reminded me a little bit of, uh, is it uh, Media in American Gods? The Gillian Anderson character? Like, appearing in, in the form of, like, Lucille Ball and stuff like that? Yeah, I think so. I I watched American Gods a while back, and I don't think they even finished the first season. Tell a secret I didn't either. Although I love the novel. Novel's great. Oh yeah, novel's amazing. And really, the series was good too. It's just, who has the time for everything? Those classic 1960s Batman episodes aren't going to watch themselves. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Um, but of course, uh, Feige has also said that Loki as with WandaVision, will tie into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Which is interesting. Which is why I suggested not just time hopping, but dimension hopping. Well, we should probably mention um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, too. It looks good. Right. It looks very good. Least surprising footage. Uh, basically, what we got was a little bit of Falcon, a little bit of Bucky, with their sort of new post-endgame looks. Yeah. And a teensy-weensy bit of U.S. Agent. Yeah, just a little bit of U.S. agent. It looked like he was being trotted out during a big football game or something. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that actually feels very realistic to me because the Department of Justice pays big money for shows of support during major football games. You mean Department of Defense? Yes, Department of Defense, sorry. Yeah. DOD. Yep. Yes. They do. They, you know, all those Patriot displays you see at uh, big sporting events? Those are paid for. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, it looks interesting. But as you were talking about Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, we should probably point out that we now have a rumored new director for that project. Yes. Which is a favorite, I think, of both you and I. Yeah, and certainly someone who is no stranger to Marvel Comics. Or horror. Right. Or yeah. our hearts. <laughs> right. And, and that would be one Sam Raimi. It's Sam Raimi. <laughs> it's Sam Raimi. You're 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 talking to a guy who just like obsessively would like marathon Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, and Army of Darkness in like a single evening. Yep, yep. 
multiple I... times over a summer. Yep. Not to mention someone who has been in Evil Dead the Musical twice. Ooh, who's that? Huh. <laughs> uh, and 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 also saw it off Broadway on the front row. Yeah. Uh, and hey, I will have you know, I was in the front row for both your performances in that show. This is this is true. This is true. <laughs> but, so you but, know, yeah. So we 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 are fans of Sam Raimi. It has been a long time since he made a movie too. Like it has. was was Oz his last movie? Was it? I think it was. The, I think the, that was the, the last one he directed. The Franco Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oz the Great and Powerful. That was 2013. Oh wow. Yeah. He's okay. produced stuff since then. Yeah, that was his most recent credit as a director, Oz the Great and Powerful, 2013. He didn't direct an episode of um, Ash vs. the Evil Dead? Yeah, he directed some episodes, but as far as feature-length stuff, Oz was his most recent one. Okay. You know, of course, he um, was a big influence on uh, Xena and... Oh, yeah, he, he produced Hercules, Xena... Um... The the Spartacus TV series. So yeah, the, he he's got some creds. He 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 he's got some TV creds in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, I think many of our fans will know him at least partially for his Spider-Man trilogy. Right, right. The original Spider-Man trilogy, in fact. Right from two thousand what two through two thousand seven. Yeah, 2002 through 2007. Um, wow. That was two reboots ago. Yeah, two reboots ago, yeah. But, you know, I think... I don't know about my our listeners, but I, I still remember, like, being blown away by that first Spider-Man movie. Like, watching in the theater, tears in my eyes as Uncle Ben dies. It brought superhero comics to life. In a way that, really, I don't think any other movie had since Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah, because X Men almost doesn't count. I like the X the first X Men movie fine. It's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie either. People tend to look at it with rose colored glasses. That one and X Two, but they're okay. But part of what always bothered me about those movies is how out of their way to went to make the out of their way. The studio went to make the X-Men movies not superhero movies. They don't wear the costumes. They're not, you know, it's just, it's different. Yeah. But but Spider-Man, for one thing, it was right on the cutting edge in terms of CGI at the time. Yes. And so Spider-Man swinging through the city, it was like seeing Christopher Reeve fly for the first time. Yes. And you know, there are things that are not perfect about the film. Yeah, no, I I mean, trust me, I have my issues in retrospect with all three of those Spider-Man movies. They are far from perfect. But, in the moment, in the theater, they were the best we had ever had. Oh, yeah. Especially think, in terms of Marvel. Oh, yeah. I, I Although I do think J.K. Simmons was the best, and is still the best, J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. He, and hopefully will continue to be for some time. Yeah. There's a reason why that it, it, they Disney did not recast. Yeah, and honestly, I could imagine several ways of recasting that would have worked, but not as well as what they did. No, 
It was it was a lovely little surprise for all the people in the audience. Really good stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so Raimi, he, he's got Marvel cred. He's got genre cred. He can do action. He can do horror. He can do fantasy. If he does end up being the director, and right now it sounds like it's very, very, very likely that he will be, they, they, I don't think they could do much better. Right. Although uh, that and, does beg the question. Mm-hmm. Who will Bruce Campbell play? That this is fair. Um, I don't know. I like I could see him cameoing in any number of ways. Yeah. Uh, especially if they're bouncing through the multiverse. True. Like he could be like an alternate reality version of someone that we've seen before. True. Oh wow. Right. Okay, yeah, that that brings up even more questions. Yeah. Honestly, what I would love to see, and it's not going to happen, they'll never do it, but what I would love to see is if there if there is a montage of Bouncing Through the Multiverse that one of the worlds that we glimpse has an older Tobey Maguire Spider-Man fighting Bruce Campbell's Mysterio. Of course, because if everybody right. was always saying, you know... Just just for a split second. You know, it doesn't have to be a lengthy sequence, but I would love to just see an image of that. If anybody could get Tobey Maguire back, it's Sam Raimi, so... Right, right. That, and, that, would, that would be interesting, yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I can think of other actual mainstream Marvel characters he could either do a voice for or make some sort of other cameo for. But but that's personally what I would love to see would be just a, a throwback to the Spider-Man stuff for a minute. Oh yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Uh, and also, speaking of Doctor Strange, we did also get confirmation through the Twitter account of C. Robert Cargill, who is Scott Derrickson's co-writer on many things, who, in fact, co-wrote the first Doctor Strange movie, and he said that uh, he was responding to several news reports about the, the screenplay for Doctor Strange 2. And he says that he and Scott Derrickson never actually had the opportunity to finish writing a draft of Multiverse of Madness. So whatever screenplay ends up being produced will not be based on their work because they never actually turned anything in. Which is kind of freeing for Sam Raimi. Yeah, I mean, and whoever else is, because I'm sure they'll also bring on some MCU writers to work with him. But it's probably for the best. I, as much as I love the writing team of Derrickson and Cargill, like, I, I like their horror stuff, I like their superhero stuff, they're a good team. But if Derrickson's not directing, I would rather the team that is working on it have a fresh start. Yeah. Because often I think part of what happens when you have changeovers like that in creative teams, is you get hamstrung by trying to modify the existing story. With Raimi's coming onto the coming onto the project, I think it kind of puts to bed some of the rumors that Disney and the previous director parted ways because they didn't want it to be too horror. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly I am far more inclined to think that it's not a genre thing so much as a a shared universe tie-in thing. Yeah. Because it seems like every five minutes, anytime someone puts a microphone in front of in front of Kevin Feige, 
he's saying that something else is connected to Doctor Strange too. Which can be frustrating for a director when you have a creative vision that you want to go with the film. Right. I know they've lost other directors over that. Right. And and like Doctor Strange direct. and Doctor Strange one was fairly self contained, aside from the, the Thor Ragnarok setup. Which is fun at the end, but again it's a little throwaway thing at the end. Well, and is repeated shot for shot in Ragnarok. Yep. Like they just literally took a section of Ragnarok and put it at the end. Yeah. But aside from that, there there is very little connection between that movie and the rest of the MCU. True. Which is again, I, I think I I just wonder if the more the other bits of the MCU started to encroach on Doctor Strange, the less excited Derrickson was to work on it. It's possible. It's very possible. Like, the, Disney's saying, okay, we want you to bring this character in, and this character in, and this character in. Right. I mean, we already have Wanda Maximoff, potentially. Brother Voodoo, potentially. Right. Um, rumors of, like, Deadpool or whatever, potentially. Right. Who knows what else through the multiverse showing up. Heck, we could get mutants yes. for all we know. It would be... I, I would... I would jump out of my seat if... Doctor Strange and Wanda are just sort of between dimensions in the cosmos, and in the background, there's a rocket with a four on it. Oh, I would, like, <laughs> yeah, just like. <laughs> you bastards. You beautiful bastards, you did it. Oh. And you never see who's in the rocket, but Strange makes some comment about it being some kind of strange negative zone. Oh my god. Oh. Guys, but I yeah. need a minute. Let's go to let's go, go to go to technical difficulty signal. <laughs> oh. But yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many possibilities for things you could tie into something when the title literally has multiverse in it. And and I think Derrickson maybe, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think maybe the more Feige and, and Disney more broadly wanted to like play with that, the less into it he was. Whereas Raimi, I think, for one thing, he hasn't directed in a while. I've read that he's been wanting to do something with Marvel for a while anyway. And I think... I, I could see him just wanting to play in the sandbox. It's a fun sandbox. Right, right. I mean, there are rules, but hey, there are rules for going to Disney World, too. And, you know, I still love going there, so... Sure. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I am all for, like... Sam Raimi taking over the Doctor Strange franchise for a little while. For one thing, any other name I can think of would be worse. You know it'd be crazy? What's that? If Bruce Campbell plays Dracula. <laughs> I can see it. Put a little put a little mustache on him and he's he's good to go. And speaking of Dracula, this week on Tomb of Ideas, we're gonna be talking about Tomb of Dracula number sixteen. Frankenstein, number eight, and Werewolf by Night, number 13. 
But before we do that, we should probably take a quick break. Right after these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, he's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called It All Comes Back to Superman to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. Well, the monthly thing hasn't worked out, but I'm hoping to change that in 2020. This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. New episodes will drop in the first or second week of the month, with special episodes popping up at random, because that's how I roll, apparently. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailytube podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytube.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you. Thou art life eternal. Answer the prayer of thy servants. Come to us again out of the legend. Mother, protect us with thy power of life. <laughs> this is Dr. Paul Barra. You know, things are kind of dead around your house on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> Why don't you join us on Creature Feature in the Tenement Castle for a couple of horrible old movies like this one. <laughs> Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first issue today is Tomb of Dracula number 16, cover date January 1974, written by Marv Wolfman, artist Gene Colan, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Artie Simic, colorist is Tom Palmer, and the editor is Roy Thomas. A walking skeleton enters the office of solicitor James Jackson. Jackson's secretary, Helen, interrupts the skeleton's search and is quickly killed. It then turns to the safe and retrieves something when Jackson himself arrives, but the man is quickly knocked unconscious and the skeleton departs. Later, Inspector Chelm of Scotland Yard arrives to investigate the murder and theft. Meanwhile, Dracula rises in his current base of operations, Highgate Cemetery. He selects two grave robbers for his next meal, but is shocked to see the walking skeleton kill them both before dissolving into ash before Dracula can react. Dracula mentally summons the caretaker of the graveyard to dispose of the bodies and then goes elsewhere to hunt. He feeds on a suicidal young woman and resumes his search for the skeleton. Back at Scotland Yard, Inspector Chelm suspects that Dracula might be responsible for the attack on James Jackson. He calls Quincy Harker with the details of the case but Harker says the murder doesn't fit Dracula's usual style. Just then, he is told of an incident occurring on Coventry Street. There, the skeleton has appeared again, attempting to attack a young woman wearing a distinctive pendant around her neck. 
the skeleton attacks and kills all who get in his way, but is interrupted when Dracula attacks in retaliation for the earlier inconvenience. The skeleton throws Dracula out of the way and takes the woman's necklace before disappearing again. Inspector Chelm arrives and fires on the departing Dracula to no effect. In Ireland, Mr. Chen reports to Dr. Sun and demonstrates his total control over a vampire, the biker Dracula turned back in Tomb of Dracula number 9. Dr. Sun, pleased with Chen's results, offers the man whatever he desires. Chen asks that his father, a political prisoner in China, be freed from captivity, and Dr. Sun agrees. Back in London, Dracula returns to Highgate, believing that a walking corpse would eventually return to its grave. He finds the skeleton in its grave, and the creature attacks again, and then vanishes. Dracula notes that the headstone is for Paul Bear, a mystic and Satanist who once tried to invite Dracula on some kind of quest. Chelm has also been investigating the skeleton murders, and realizes there is a connection between the victims, Bear, and a man named Duncan Corley. Dracula arrives at the former home of Paul Bear and finds his corpse with a note reading, Do not bury him again. Disobeying the order, Dracula takes the decaying body back to Highgate. Chelm, also rushing to the cemetery, tries unsuccessfully to run down the walking skeleton. He then shoots it with the silver bullets that Chelm planned to use on Dracula, but the creature fights back. Dracula arrives and fights the skeleton once again. Dracula finally defeats the skeleton, and Chelm explains what has happened. The superstitious Paul Bear wanted to be buried in a place with some mystic significance, but his chosen gravesite was already taken by Duncan Corley. Bear had his attorney, James Jackson, arrange to switch the graves. This caused Corley's body to reanimate first to take the papers from Jackson's office proving ownership of the plot, then to take the necklace from Bear's wife because it was made from Corley's original tombstone. Dracula, finally understanding what has happened, returns Corley's bones to their proper resting place. Really, Marv Wolfman? <laughs> really? <laughs> Paul Bear? Yep, yep. We, we've got a pun name. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, did, like, Marv Wolfman have, like, a kid around this point or something? Because <laughs> that's a total dad joke. Yep. yep. Oh, man. Uh, can I go ahead and tell you my least favorite thing about this whole comic? Oh, please. It is that our intrepid vampire hunters appear in a single panel for a telephone conversation in which Quincy Harker refuses to help. No, he says he he'd be happy to help in any way, and then doesn't, and then doesn't help. <laughs> no, like not at all. <laughs> it's like nope, sorry, it's not, not Dracula, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything. Now, despite the fact that Dracula is obviously going right, to show right. up, yeah, that that bugged me both in terms of I always don't like it. I like I I, I never like it when the vampire hunters are reduced to a cameo. But also, yes. also just Harker's refusal to participate in the story, even when invited. And like, Chalm could have been, should have been like, okay, Dracula is fucking here now. 
Get your like, ass I am here. literally loading silver bullets into my pistol. Please come. Yep. And they would have been there with bells on. Yep. However, I do really love the look of the skeleton in a trench coat and hat. It's a great yes. design. It's simple, but it's great. It looks like it looks like something off a pulp cover. Yes, it does. For for a minute there, I was kind of confused about like what he was doing with his hands. I thought he was doing like some kind of mystical blast. Mm-hmm. At first, no, he's just crushing people's faces to pulp. Yeah, he's just squeezing really hard to the point where they explode. Yes. And wow, that's gruesome. Yep. Yep. That might be the most violent death that we've had in a non-magazine in a while. Especially since that wouldn't actually kill somebody straight out. No, 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 no. Like, you would you would either suffocate or bleed out, whichever happens first. Yeah. <sighs> not, yep. not, 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 not cool, Corley. Yeah. But the thing's hand shoots out, and bone and cartilage crumble under its grasp. <sighs> yep. But, dude is justified. Is he, though? They rubbed his grave. They buried him somewhere else. But not where he wanted to be buried. Like, isn't he entitled to the plot that he picked out, too? But, like, he just had a just a random plot. It's just like, he, he wasn't going to do anything with it. <laughs> Satanist dude had he was. Like, evil plans for it. <laughs> Although I, I have to say, it is especially creepy and morbid that the wife had a necklace made out of the destroyed tombstone. Yeah, that's just arrogant. That's just being an asshole. Let's be honest here. It's like, oh, I know we're desecrating this tomb, honey, but that's some really nice marble. Really nice marble. Mm-hmm. Can I get some jewelry made out of that? That'd be wonderful, thanks. Which also, wouldn't that just be heavy to wear? It would. Marble is like, look, hold on, let me check out the size of that necklace. Give me a second. It's a pretty big pendant. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a weight. Also, why do you want, like, I can understand if it's like the same marble that's used to make your husband's tombstone. Right. But it isn't. It's the it's the tombstone of the guy that you. Desecrated. Right. Yeah. It's weird. In order to bury your husband. Like, the... And and Wolfman tries to wrap it up at the end with, with Chelm doing his best Sherlock Holmes impression. But the logic behind a lot of this is really weird. Yes. It's, I mean, he's a cool-looking villain. Yep. Monster of the Week guy. It's a fun issue. The Paul Bearer thing almost fucking spoils the whole goddamn issue. <laughs> I I got a kick out of it, actually. I, I appreciated that. <laughs> oh, no, I saw him like, oh, seriously? Seri okay, you're just you're just not even ch taking the whole issue seriously. Whatever, man. It's like naming a werewolf Jack Russell. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing that we really should talk about is the other thing that has nothing to do with the actual plot, and that is the page or so where we shift to Ireland. Oh, yeah. And and hear a little bit more from Dr. Sun. He's a planning something. 
Yep, they they have put a vampire under their control. It's the biker guy from the previous what the previous issues. Uh, from number nine. That's how long it's been since we followed up on this story. Is Tomb of Dracula number nine? We've gotten little hints every now and then. Right, but like that particular dude was last seen in number nine. Yeah. And we're on what sixteen? Yeah. Yeah, he was the guy working for the dude in the Iron Lung. Right, right, and and Dracula bites him, and and he attacks the dude. Yep. Um. But yeah, so so Sun's up to something, and clearly has some some power if he can, like, free a political prisoner in China in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that is to show us how powerful he is. Yeah. It's like, oh, is that all you want? Done. Yep. And so we we mentioned the design of the, the monster, uh, Corley the, the skeleton man. But the art in this issue is actually very good overall. I, I liked it. It's, it's, it's great Gene Cullen artwork. Right. I mean, again, it's we, we complain about this con- pretty often, that the problem is that Tomb of Dracula is so consistently good in terms of the visuals that it's often hard to pick things that stand out, because it's just always good. It is always good. It's dependably good. Uh, I do a couple things that stand out to me this time, though. The close-up of Paul Bear's skeleton. Like, the do not bury him again. Yes, that's so good. That's that's some gruesome stuff, right? Like that's that's gruesome in a way that I normally associate with Plug. Yeah, that's a big flex there. Yeah, and it's a little goofy, but I also really like that while Chelm is talking to Dracula at the end, the panel actually catches Dracula mid transformation into Bat. Yes, like he's got little bat ears sticking out. <laughs> Something I noticed in the issue, uh, and I kind of found interesting, is on page 26, uh-huh. we get a karate chop from Corley. And then on page 31, we get a karate chop from Dracula. Yes. This is a very kung fu heavy, um, skeleton fu, as our friend Joe Bob would say. <laughs> Well, as we know from our Hammer Horror, Dracula did once uh, go to China and team up with some Chinese vampires. Were they hopping? No, no. Although that is that is traditionally the the thing with with Chinese vampires they they hop. But nice. but yeah, the Hammer Horror film Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires is a Hammer co-production with the Shaw Brothers and and is a Dracula movie featuring kung fu. God, I gotta watch that now. It's fun. I, I've got it somewhere on DVD. <laughs> Although I think Scream Factory just put out a, a new Blu-ray, or is about to put out a new Blu-ray, but I'm going to have to upgrade to that, because... Obviously. Yeah. But but yeah, this was a good issue. Like I say, I am disappointed by the lack of the Vampire Hunters, which I think weakens the plot, because all of the narrative weight that normally goes onto those characters that I actually care about... That weight instead gets carried by Inspector Chelm, who I have no attachment to. No. he, he Before, he's been this kind of, like, befuddled, clueless um, Inspector dude, and he doesn't do much to distinguish himself from that yeah. here. 
Like, normally, he's the Inspector Lestrade to the vampire hunters Sherlock. Yes. But now That's suddenly, exactly now suddenly he's of. playing Sherlock. Yes. Which makes no sense. It should have been Harker yes. coming in and explaining all this. Right. Like, in that moment where he gets the phone call, he should have, like, he should have said, that doesn't sound like Dracula, but something weird is going on. Let me get my things. I'll be right there. Yes. And then and then he would do the investigation for the rest of the issue with Chelm tagging along. Or, like, Van Helsing can show up. He, Rachel Van Helsing. Exactly. Exactly. Like, pull, pull, trot her out. We haven't seen her in a while. Right. Right. Let her shine. But but that's not what we get. Instead, again, we have the star of the book. We have Dracula. There for most of the thing. But even he is kind of taking a back seat because he he knows less of what's going on than Chelm does. Yep. He has it all explained to him. And once it's explained to him, it's like, oh, is that all? Dumps him in his original grave. Problem solved. Yep. Which, uh, there is... I, I, I think the ending is somewhat poignant in that, of all people... Dracula recognizes the importance of being buried in your home earth. Yeah. Like having your proper burial place. Because Dracula, as a vampire, has to return to his proper burial place every night. Or every morning. This is true. So so that the ending mostly works. I just think Chelm is not the character to pull off that kind of exposition. But maybe the reason we're not getting a lot of our vampire hunters is because we're planning something big with them in a coming upcoming issues. Right. Perhaps in Railroad to Hell, which is apparently the next issue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet it's a good train story. I love I love a nice train story. Ooh, maybe it's a heist. Ooh, maybe it's like Murder on the Orient Express. Ooh, even better. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm guessing that, that Dracula did it though. Oh. Possibly. <laughs> anyway, we'll have to wait on that because up next we have Werewolf by Night number eight. Thirteen. Oh, Werewolf by Night number thirteen. Right after this message. <laughs> Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy superlatives, Batman. It's really exciting. Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John S. Drew, on my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series on the Batcave podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host, as we review the classic television series. There's a new episode every two weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at thebatcavepodcast.com. Holy memoranda, folks. Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking, Robin. Majors takes it to the limits. Who are you? Burt Reynolds. You ain't Burt Reynolds. Lee Majors returns to television as Hollywood's craziest crash artist and hottest stuntman. Sometimes I'm Robert Redford. Catch a new spirit of action and adventure. Fall Guy. Wednesday's the night. 
Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our next issue on this episode is Werewolf by Night number 13. Writer is Marv Wolfman. Artist is Mike Plug. Inker is Frank Ciarmonte. Letter is John Costanza. Colors is Petra Goldberg. Editor is Roy Thomas. Jack Russell transforms into a werewolf one night, only to be knocked out by a spell and abducted by followers of the sorcerer Taboo and his familiar Topez. Taboo claims his magic had manipulated the council, the committee, and the Darkhold was stolen from him and wants it back to revive his son. When he learns that Russell's copy of the Darkhold was destroyed, Taboo gets angry and orders Topez to kill the werewolf but she refuses. He instead has the werewolf thrown into a holding cell, along with Jack's also kidnapped stepfather. The werewolf is expected to kill Philip, but deep down he remembers his mother's dying wish and instead focuses on escape. When Philip and the werewolf get free and find Taboo, Topez's magic accidentally transfers Philip's mind to Algon's dormant body causing the monstrous mummy to rise under Taboo's command. And this summary was taken from Marvel Fandom Wiki because I didn't have time to write, write a proper one. Sorry. Plug is back! Plug is back? Yeah, and man, he comes in strong with that with that opening page. Yeah, first page is real, real good. Um, also... I, I think probably aside from the first and last page, both of which are just gorgeous, um, probably the best visuals of the book are on page 11, which is uh, at the top of the page. We've got one of Plug's uh, trademark transformations across multiple panels. Yep. Uh, as the as the sun sets. Good stuff. And. And then just below that, you've got a panel that goes all the way across the page. It's just a really pretty montage of the werewolf and and uh, Topaz influencing him. I mean, I love the big bad in this one, like Taboo, and the way that Plue draws him. There's a fantastic panel on page three of just mm. Taboo and Topaz side by side. And the complete opposite of these two characters. I joke with somebody that this is a picture of me and my wife in public. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's just like the complete opposite of these two people. And it's really good. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's something that gets reinforced thematically through the flashback later. Yes. But I love... The depiction of taboo here and i really worry what another artist would have done with this yeah 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 because it this this comes right up to the line of being offensive in some ways yes and i i think it i think it skirts away from that but only just, just. and with the wrong artist and the wrong writer it could have gotten real bad real fast like, Taboo is a very large man, but also he kind of seems to have, like, skin hanging off his face. Like, not just wrinkles. He isn't just old. He's... He looks like he's melting. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a it's an interesting look. And, of course, uh, his, his familiar, Topaz, we have not seen the last of her. No. And it's worth 
noting this work is very reminiscent of Eisner's work in the spirit. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Th- there, w- Mike Plug was an apprentice under Will Eisner, mm-hmm. and it shows in this first panel when you see Topez. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, I think. She ends up getting redesigned later, partly because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for her to be blonde. Okay. But if you're thinking of it in terms of Eisner influence, of course she's blonde. Yeah. It's it's so good. Yeah. Now, what we have not talked about is that the plug giveth and the plug taketh away. Because we also have a, a fairly protracted sequence in the middle set at the apartment complex with our least favorite supporting cast. Yeah, where Jack Russell gets accused of stealing some books from his neighbor. Neighbor. Who is the guy who we've seen previously getting creepy supernatural mystic books out of, I guess, the local library? Has an impressive collection, that library. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's a copy of the Darkhold there. Uh, so, yeah, so so he gets accused of stealing the books, and then Jack gives one of the girls a ride to her job at the movie studio, and while there, Jack basically accidentally gets a job as a stuntman. Because that's how it works. Yep, yep. Jack Russell, werewolf stuntman. Yep. And then we're introduced to a new character, Brad Wrangler. Wrangle, Brad Wrangle. <laughs> Brad Wrangle, who also happens to wrangle horses. Yes. Which is right up there with Paul Bear. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, yeah. Although maybe that's maybe that's like back in the old days when when like I don't know, like like your last name reflected your profession. True. Like like Bill Shoemaker or whatever. Yep. So Brad Wrangle because he wrangles horses. Yep. But but we also that that's basically all we get out of that is just just enough to remind us that hey, these characters that we don't like still exist and oh by the way, Jack is working on a movie studio now. Yep. Of course he's since been kidnapped and disappeared for a while, so he could have already lost that job by now. He's good at losing jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So fun times. He just needs to just needs to go back to his old supporting cast. They'll take care of him. Yes, but Cohen will keep him around, if you know what I mean. Yep. There's more than one way to pay the bills. Don't I know it. <laughs> and uh, so we've also got a little bit more development with the Darkhold here, which is the first time that's come up in a while. Yeah. And and I'm guessing at some point that that destruction is going to have to be undone because I know the Darkhold is a thing later on. Well, that's just one copy of the Darkhold. Sure, I, I guess there are multiple copies. But what's interesting here is that Taboo is apparently responsible for Philip Russell getting kidnapped. Right, because Taboo hired the committee. The committee, yeah. Which stands to reason he may also be responsible for. The death of Philip Russell's wife. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. 
which Jack has not been in control of things enough to put those pieces together. But yes, that is possible. It would be interesting. Uh, and we also have, at the very end, a new monster design. Yes, which is a bit like our old monster designs. Sure. It, it, it looks sort of like a cross between Ben Grimm and Man-Thing. It looks, it looks like a, a cross between Frankenstein and the Mummy. That too. That too. It's basically all of the other monsters rolled together is what we're getting at. Yeah. But he, he's got that, that Ben Grimm protruding eyebrow. Yeah. And, and the rounded head. But then, yeah, the, from the body down, he's a little bit Frankenstein, a little bit mummy. He, he's an ugly son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And now he's got Philip Russell's brain. Where's Philip Russell's brain? <laughs> no one cares. Oh, yeah. So, Philip Russell shows some unexpected resilience here. Yeah. When, you know, the the werewolf is bearing down on him. He's like, all right, you punk, bring it. I'm like... <laughs> I can take you. Yeah. <laughs> I fought dudes bigger and stronger than you. And then also, that at the end of the issue, Philip Russell rushes in, sees some sort of magical duel happening, the werewolf cowering in the corner, a monster on a slab, and he still has the presence of mind to, like, intervene? Well, you know, a pretty young white white girl is in trouble, so yeah. Right. Because, you know, hot. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> what do you want here? That she's white, again, like I said, because of where it appears that she was born and, and grew up, it raises questions. It does. That, that again, later get retconned. But he, he has that as shorthand, like, ah, she good, he bad. Right, which is part of how things get a little problematic. Yep. And only other thing I will point out here, um, in the letters pages, uh, what you mostly have are people complaining that Plug is gone, and the responses being varying degrees of Marvel saying... But now Plug is back! Yay! Yay! But but they but they do so in a way that avoids throwing uh, Tom Sutton under the bus. Yeah, I, well, I'm sure the readers did that for them. Oh, most definitely. I think there was there was one letter that was actually complimentary of Tom Sutton. The rest were all like, "Where where did Plug go? Bring him back!" Yeah, it's Jack's not looking like Jack, and Liza's not looking like Liza. Yeah, but but unfortunately, putting Plug back on this book takes him off of Frankenstein. Which may be a blessing. Well, you know, you kind of have to wonder, was the Frankenstein monster book already on its way out the door, or does Plug leaving the book cause a decline in quality that leads to its cancellation? We might talk about it a little more later. I just... I know we've we've read stories where Plug draws Dracula. Yep. And it's kind of eh. It's not it's not the best. No, it's yeah. definitely not Gene Colan. It's not no. Neil Adams. But but what is? It's yeah, right. That's the thing. We've seen we've seen artists other than Colan do Dracula well. Yes. But we've not really seen Plug do Dracula well. I would actually argue we've not seen anybody do the werewolf well except for Mike Plug. Right. Well, I think it's a difference between, like, Plug is good at beasts. Yes. He's good at werewolf, he's good at 
Frankenstein's monster, he's good at the various creatures that those monsters fight. But, like, a human monster is not something that's really in his wheelhouse. No. Do we want to just move on to the Frankenstein issue? I I think we can, because I I think there's some continuity in the stuff we're talking about. Uh, Suffice it to say, this issue was fine. It was good. The, The art was really good. The story is not without its problems, but it keeps things moving along. The biggest problem, of course, being that we didn't see any of the supporting cast we care about. Right, right. Right. But we're back on track with the ongoing stories, both of Philip Russell and of the Darkhold. Yep. So, like, pieces that have previously been loose threads seem to be tying up and... Yeah. And, like, if... Taboo is the thing that's been lurking in the shadows in Jack Russell's life up to now. I'm not that upset about it. No, this is this is an interesting way, especially now that he seems to be under Taboo's control. Which is interesting we say that because he, he is very much in the model of these mysterious guys with a weird servant who kidnapped Jack one night. Yeah, which we've had a lot of this. <laughs> but for some reason we don't mind it with Taboo... And I'm kind of wondering, yeah. is it because Topaz is hot? I, well, I think it's not her appearance. I think Topaz, as the counterpoint to Taboo philosophically, is what interests True, because before we've had these, you know, main guys and sidekicks who are very similar to one another. We have mm-hmm. the, brut- the, the brutal master and the sniveling servant. Right. With Topaz, she is different. She does rebuke killing Jack Russell. Yeah, and there's a visual shorthand at play here, where, like, big ugly villain uses powers to kill, pretty blonde girl refuses to kill, uses powers to calm things down. Yeah, I mean... Like, like the, the, the beauty's ability to soothe the beast or whatever. Like, there's a visual shorthand at work there. But it, it makes for a more interesting dynamic than the usual, like, monstrous side... Which we have one of those, too. That's basically what what the the sun is that that philip russell's brain is that's the big lumbering side yes which again he is kind of boring as we see him there yeah i mean like i mean as we described him we described him by listing all of the characters that he reminds us of yeah so we'll see what this next issue is um i i think it could be interesting depending on how much they lean into the father versus son dynamic versus just being another werewolf fighting a monster yeah but be interesting to see at least with Plug back, we know it'll look good. Unless Plug's gone by the next issue. Oh, I, I haven't even looked ahead. But I guess that is a possibility. But I think, like you said, now's probably a good time to shift gears and talk about the Frankenstein monster number eight. Right. We'll be right back after this message. For years, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has found its joy talking about comics. From Aquaman and Firestorm to Batman and Plastic Man. From giant treasuries to pocket-sized digests. From massive miniseries events to singular one-shot adventures. From romance to horror to whatever the hell Ohatmu or not is. In the last year, they've begun to carve a path through their favorite television shows, such as MASH, Cheers, and Justice League Unlimited. And there's no sign of them stopping. What medium will fire and water conquer next?
Fire and Water Records, the music anthology podcast from the Fire and Water Network. Find your joy in all new ways as members of the Fire and Water Network and their friends discuss favorite songs, albums, concerts, and artists. Hang on, I've been doing a music show for two years. Featuring Record Revolution. Join the Brothers Daily as we catalog the essential years that shaped popular music and our own lives. A very daily Christmas. An annual celebration of our favorite holiday tracks. Plus, all new episodes of Zoom for Sam. The show in which I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single every single episode. And Pod Dylan. No, not Pod Dylan. We discussed this. That's staying on its own feed. Not Pod Dylan, but everything else I said. Plus, so much more. There's even a chance David Ace Gutierrez will show up. Which brings us back to Fastball, which is really one of the most interesting American bands in the world today. When you think about the number of side projects and solo projects associated with the band, it actually almost out. Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Ghostbusters! We're here! So are we. Frankenstein Dracula monsters. Get them, boys. Ghosts. Funny guy. Watch him scream. The real Ghostbusters. Each sold separately. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our final issue for this episode is the Frankenstein monster number eight. Cover date January 1974. Written by Gary Friedrich. Art by John Bashema. Ink by John Verporten. Letters by Gene Izzo. Colorist is Linda Lessman and the editor is Roy Tom. Having been revived by the vampire Margarita, Dracula is furious and hungry. He attacks the Frankenstein monster, but in his weakened state, the monster overpowers him. During the fight, Margarita's granddaughter, Carmen, tries to help the monster in return for his saving her life last issue. Margarita attacks her, and during the struggle, the monster drives a wooden stake to her heart. Dracula escapes in the chaos, and Carmen leads Frankenstein's monster out of the cave, only to find her village completely destroyed. This drives the monster into a vengeful rage, and he goes to attack the nearby town. Carmen tries to follow and calm him down, but falls down crying in the forest. In the town, Dracula tries to feed, but the townspeople paired for his return with garlic. He finally finds an unguarded window, but is driven away when he finds the girl inside is wearing a cross. Finally, he discovers Carmen in the forest eats on her. Back in the town, the Burgomaster has formed a mob to combat both monsters, the Frankenstein monster and Dracula. Before they can depart, the monster attacks them. While the monster initially has the upper hand thanks to his strength, a bullet grazes his forehead and stuns him long enough for the mob to bind him a stake. As the monster awakens, they prepare to light a fire, destroying Frankenstein's creation once and for all. You know, I kind of feel the Frankenstein monster here. There are many days where I get off work and I feel like killing a margarita. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, so, so this issue, for one thing, it's not over yet. So it looks like the, the Dracula crossover will continue. Yep. But it's also the very definition of a monster rap. Most of this issue is just a big old monster. Yep. And it, I find it art. We have an interesting artist here in the form of John Buscema. Of course, famous for yeah. a lot of those Avengers titles we were talking about in our um, Hellstrom Watch segment. And right. I have a question for you, Trey. Yeah. Is John Buscema's artwork too pretty for a horror book? Yes. 
I I am not feeling the art in this issue. Like I lo- I usually love John Buscema artwork, but the 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 first meeting of Frankenstein and Dracula should have probably been done by Colin or maybe Pluto, but probably Colin because Dracula needs to be right too. Yes, and it's not to say that Dracula is bad. No, in fact, Dracula I think comes off better than Frankenstein's. Monster. I would agree with that. Frankenstein's monster at various times looks almost too handsome. Yeah. Like, there are a handful of, of glimpses of his face where he's just not monstrous enough. Like, there's a part like on he, the top of page he, 10 where he looks like almost... Yep, I was like looking at, I was looking at that exact same panel. Human Ben Grimm. Yes, except for the stitches across the forehead. Yeah. It's like he forgot he was drawing a monster. I mean, I'm sure he knew. <laughs> the even, even the bottom of 11 is not particularly monstrous. I mean, he looks angry. Yeah, he's got a bad haircut. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Dracula looks fine. I, I think his Dracula is very good. Yes. Although, I will say the death of Carmen on page 15 and 16 does lack some of the gruesomeness we've seen before in Dracula's yeah. feeding. It's yeah. all done, you know, behind it's, the cloak. And which, I mean, that's very old school. I get that. But, like I say, that's we both know that's not how Colin would have done it. No. No. I mean, I felt bad for Carmen, but her death was kind of like, oh, she's dead. Also, just it's real weird how she just sort of collapses in the forest. Yeah. Like, I guess she trips over the log and then just doesn't. No. She trips over the log and just like, oh, I am so done with this. Which, it's one of those it's one of those Marvel method things where I'm betting the artist intended one thing and the scripter did something else with it. Because I'm guessing it's she's supposed to have fallen unconscious, that she, she tripped and got knocked out. Yeah. But the caption says that she falls breathless on the forest floor, sobbing in quiet desperation. Which, before this, we've seen her being a little more motivated. Yeah. Well, and, and again, like, the the image underneath that caption is not of a girl sobbing. It is of a girl unconscious. She's got tears. Her eyes are closed, though. She's got tears. The tears are there. Right, but that was from earlier where she was chasing. Uh, I mean, she did just watch her grandmother get staked. And then go, come to see her village be burned to the ground. This is true. I just, I feel like it makes more sense if she's... Yeah, it does. Because it really is a, oh, she's dead. Because then the caption has to elaborate further that she's asleep on the on page uh, 15. Because apparently she never got up. She laid there until she fell asleep. Yeah, which I guess it's stressed weird. us things. Sure. But yeah, no, I just, I wasn't feeling the art in this. I wanted to. But again, it's a little bit too clean. It's a little bit too pretty. Yeah, and even the fight scene just isn't quite as dynamic as I want it to Primal. be. Primal. Yes, that's a good word. Because this this should be Dracula at his most feral because he's starving. Crap, we have a backup story in this. Yeah, it's not great. It's a reprint. It's 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 a bad reprint, yes. Yeah. That that's what this I thought this issue seemed kind of short. Yeah, well cuz Frankenstein usually has those backups. Like they've been they've been packing them with reprints. Yeah, this title's still going to get canceled. <laughs> uh I I wanted to like this this book cuz it's the it's our first monster crossover, really. Like our first big one. Yeah, I mean we had Ben Grimm and uh Man-Thing last issue last episode. And that was fun. Yeah. We had a lot of fun with that yeah. one. Yeah. But as far as like Marvel horror interacting with Marvel horror Aside from some little cameos in the magazines, this is the first big Yeah. And it's just not what I want it to be. No, it's like, you know, you want this massive slugfest, and Drac is like, backhand, go feed. Yeah, yeah. And it's also just, I don't know, it's the same question that I have with Dracula Lives. 
which is just how many times has Dracula been staked and unstaked over the years before Tomb of Dracula starts? It kind of makes him seem not that impressive. It kind of it kind of diminishes the like. Well, apparently this has been done a hundred times before you guys got here. Keep up, guys. What's what's because. Because you know this this arc in next issue has to end with Dracula getting staked again. Yeah. Like you have to reset that status quo so that Tomb of Dracula happened. You're not wrong. And of course, all uh, the stories we've seen since Tomb before Tomb of Dracula starts, but since the story happened, happen as well. Right. Right. It's just like. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's not a bad. It's just again not what we want it to be. No, it's not the monster mayhem we kind of want. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. Maybe maybe they'll stick the landing. Maybe the next issue will will give us what this issue didn't. Probably not. Yeah. Um. So it's worth just worth mentioning for the people who are keeping count. Since this book has so few issues, I, I, we can actually do this math. We are ten issues away from the end of this. That many. Yeah, because I think it goes to eighteen. Oh. Okay. I I, I thought yeah, it... there are 18, 18 issues. Oh, I thought it I thought it ended before then. Okay. No, no, I've got the complete run as a trade paperback on my shelf here. So okay, oh, um, and that's not and that's not counting the uh, the magazine. All right. Anyway, I think that does do it for Frankenstein, at least for this episode. Yeah, yeah, it was not the best of the bunch. What what would you say was your favorite? Oh, the three we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, this this week or this week's issue. I think probably the Werewolf by Night issue. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's the one that came closest to delivering on expectations yeah it's just it's so nice to have mike blue back but he he yeah. does not fail to deliver um my my one gripe aside from the the supporting cat is i hate when a comic i hate when a comic cover uses an image from the end of the book yeah it does do that um because because at that point you're not selling me on the current issue you're selling me on the next issue. yeah there there is that and 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 this and this issue, uh, the cover—it's a good cover. Like just in terms of like the image, it's real cool. But it's got werewolf fighting Taboo's monster son, and that is something that is only set up in the issue. It doesn't actually happen yet. Yep, it's the it's the last issue thing. Yeah. So, um, so that that's that's annoying. But other than that, Plug being back on the art just goes a long way. So I, I agree that Werewolf by Night is the strongest. And Frankenstein the week, if I'm picking a least favorite. Yeah, I mean the, the Dracula issue is fine. It's yeah, we we had our issues with it in terms of storytelling and logic, but it was a more fun read. Yeah, like if I was watching a weekly Dracula TV show in the style of Night Gallery, right? I would not be too pissed off at this. Nah, well, and and just on. In terms of, again, I think we've been putting a lot of emphasis this week on visual storytelling, and colon on Tomb of Dracula is always going to be better than most of Except maybe my... On Werewolf. Yes. <clears throat> and again, you're yeah, like we're so... not picking favorite here, here guys. We, 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 we're not saying that, oh, Mike Plug's a better artist than Gene Colon. Like, no, they're very different artists. And they have very different strengths. And right now, those two men, at where we are in, in this chronology... Those two men are on the books that best suit their styles. Yes. I think eventually we get Plug back on Ghost Rider. That sounds right. Which makes sense, because that that's another character that flounders whenever he... Although, I guess we'll find out, because next issue we're going to be talking about... Sorry, next episode we're going to be talking about Tomb of Dracula number 17. A very quick return of Tomb of Dracula for us. Fear number 20, a continuation of... Actually, no, wait. It's not Man-Thing now. No, it's a brand... 
Brand new story. Right. It's Morbius, the living vampire. Adventuring into fear. Right. So we're, we're, we're returning to Adventure into Fear, but of course we're getting a new character there, but not that new to us. Right. Because this, I imagine, will be following from both his Spider-Man appearances and his Vampire Tales appearance. And of course, after that, we're going to talk about Ghost Rider number four where we get to see if we actually like an issue of Ghost Rider yet. We'll see. Fingers crossed, because I I had it in my head as a comic book fan that I thought Ghost Rider was cool. But I am starting to question that. Do you do you want to put money on it? I rather not. <laughs> it's okay. Nothing down here we can spend money on. Anyway, right. uh, on the subject of listener feedback, we really haven't gotten any, guys. So, you know, if you're out there... Please write us a letter, send us an email, tell us what you think. Uh, well, and in addition to the the episodes, if you've watched our reaction to the Morbius trailer, we'd love to hear about that too. Uh, what you thought of that, what your thoughts on the trailer are, uh, That that's, you know, several weeks back at this point, but uh, we, we would love to hear what people thought of it. Now, we do have a bit from one of our followers on Twitter, Gerald, agent of Girl... Um, who, when someone asked them for their favorite podcast to do a deep dive into comic book runs of specific characters, uh, did give us a shout-out. Uh, Gerald states, Tomb of Ideas goes through Marvel horror comics and discusses the supernatural monster horror corner of Marvel Universe. They discuss books like Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing, Monster of Frankenstein, Tales of the Zombie, and much more in a manner most spooky. So, Gerald, thank you so much for giving us a shout-out. Yeah, that's great. We, uh, thank you for spreading the word. Uh, if you're listening to us right now and you like what you hear, do like Gerald. Tell your friends. Let people know that we exist. Uh, send them to, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you think uh, they might be getting their podcasts, let them know we're there. Yes, please. And, of course, you can always write to us at our email, tombofideas at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash tombofideas. And, of course, like Gerald, you can find us on Twitter, at tombofideas. We are proud members of the Cinepunks podcast group, which... Right. God, they're just doing so much things right now. Yeah, they are all over the place. So much good content. Of course, the Cinepunks.com site has really great written pieces about movies, music, TV, pretty much all manner of entertainment and culture. But also our fellow podcasts are uh, Horror Business, uh, Cinepunks, uh, Fat Girl Hacks, uh, the brand new uh, collective of podcasts uh, under the Cinema Smorgasbord brand, which is Liam O'Donnell and Doug Tilly doing all kinds of movie-related stuff. Um, so check them out, too. They're in basically the same podcasting sites that we are. So if you like us, uh, give them a listen, too, because you'll probably like Definitely. Um, anyway, I do think that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. Uh, I think say so. Say goodnight, Trey. Good night, Trey. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Toomers Excelsior!
Okay, give me just a second. Uh, I've just about got what I need here. Um... You! You got what I need! <laughs> Lord, you say it's just a friend. I don't actually know the words of that song. 